Shabbat Shalom. Uh, I pray that if you celebrated Hanukkah, that it was a joyous occasion full of laughter and lots of latkes. Uh, So I'm going to start with a question. What is the difference between Hanukkah and a dragon? One lasts for eight nights, the other just eight nights. So Miriam goes to the post office to buy stamps for her holiday cards. She asks the cashier, may I please have 50 Hanukkah stamps? The cashier asks, what denomination? To which Miriam replies, oy vey, it's come to this. Okay, give me six Orthodox, 12 Conservative, and 32 Reform. Thank you. Okay, now that the the ice is broken, let's kind of dive right in. Uh, We're looking at Numbers 15, uh, and Numbers is kind of a misconception when it comes to the name of 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 the book. It's actually Bamidbar in Hebrew, which really tells you what the book is, is entailing. It's about in the wilderness, Bamidbar, in the wilderness. But to understand... Numbers 15, we have to go back a little bit into Bamidbar 14. See, up to this point, the children of Israel had sinned against the Lord, so much so that He banished them to wander the wilderness. Uh, But they were this close to the promised land, so much so that they had sent spies into the land, and if they returned... The Lord struck them because he said, you shall not enter into the land, not until all the way over here in Joshua after the death of Moses. Uh, So when we turn to Bamidbar 14, we're going to go back a little bit. You guys know that the Bible doesn't always follow a linear set of progression. It doesn't go from this happened, then this happened, then this happened. Sometimes it takes sidebars and brings in content that we don't normally associate in the right place. So when you look at it with a holy frame of mind in the Lord, you see how the thought progression starts to follow. So we'll start in the Midbar 1439. I will be reading, by the way, from the Complete Jewish Study Bible. So some of the phrasing may be a little bit different than the standard TLV or the King James. When Moshe told these things to all the people of Israel, they felt great remorse. Why did they feel remorse? Because they sinned. They arose early the next morning, came to the top of the mountain and said, here we are and we did sin. They admitted it. That's great. But now we will go up to the place Adonai promised. We acknowledge that we sinned but we're going to do it again. See, this doesn't sound like a rebellious teenager or anything, does it? Moshe answered, Why are you opposing what Adonai said? You won't succeed. Don't go up there because Adonai isn't with you. If you do, your enemies will defeat you. The Amalekim and the Canaanim are there ahead of you, and you will be struck down by the sword. 
The reason will be that you have turned away from following Adonai, so that Adonai will not be with you. But, there's that word again, but, they were presumptuous. And they went on up towards the high parts of the hill country, even though the Ark of the Covenant of Adonai and Moshe stayed in the camp. So the Amalekim and the Canaanim, living in that hill country, descended. They had the high ground. Struck them down and beat them all the way back to Hormah. Then going into the Midbar 15, as Gary was reading, the Lord changes His subject just a little bit. He already told them, you're not going to go into the land just yet. But it starts off in 15, Adonai said to Moses, tell the people of Israel, when you go into the land where you are going to live, which I am giving to you and want to make an offering by fire to Adonai, a burnt offering or sacrifice to fulfill a special vow or the fulfillment of a promise, as it reads in some scripture, to be a voluntary offering or grace offering or at your designated times to make a fragrant aroma to Adonai. The Holy Spirit was really working on me as I was reading through this entire chapter. And it started to reveal threads and vines and avenues to speak from. Because all of Scripture is built around the Torah. So you see these same themes carried forward all the way. Right here in the very beginning of this section, the Lord is laying out His plan of redemption in the burnt offering. You guys know, Yeshua is the fulfillment of a special vow, the fulfillment of a promise made all the way back in Genesis. He said, I will bring forth the seed of a woman who will crush the head of the snake and the snake will bruise his heel. I could live from a bruised heel. I can't live from a crushed head. Because of that, we should be thankful. So there is that voluntary offering. Grace is littered all the way through the Torah. And when people say the grace didn't come until Yeshua, they're not reading the Scriptures. And the designated times, the Moedim of the Lord all point to the coming, the ministry, the death on the cross, the redemption and the resurrection and the ha'olam to come of Yeshua. And that's a whole other teaching. I believe Zach has a wonderful teaching on the meanings of the Moedim. But there's another theme here. This is love language. The Lord is saying, you didn't fulfill your vow to me, but I am going to be faithful to you. He is saying, but I want you to do something for me. I want you to give me an, I want you to make an offering that is pleasing to me. I like to smell this. He is saying that love is an action verb. It's not the Greco-Roman idea of love, which is an emotion-based thing. 
It's not warm, fuzzy feelings. Older women, you are to teach your younger women how to love. You can't teach warm, fuzzy feelings, but you can teach how to love and honor your husbands. You can teach how to be there in sickness and in health through richer or poorer. Now, guys, this is going to happen at some point in your relationships and your marriages. Inevitably, you're going to walk into a department store like Kohl's or JCPenney's or Dillard's, and you're going to go buy a perfume counter. And something is going to catch the nostrils of your woman. And it is going to smell very pleasing to her, and it is going to smell very not pleasing to you. <laughs> and you don't have the heart to tell her that, it's, that you think a potpourri basket blew up in her face, singed hibiscus and all. So what do you do? You buy her the perfume. Because it's not about you. Without expectation of reward, you want to do something for her. Because you can see that it makes her feel pretty. You can tell that her countenance and her spirit is lifted up when she smells that smell, so you buy it for her. Now, it might not necessarily be a perfume because my wife isn't necessarily a perfume lady, but it might be uh, some makeup or some shoes or a dress um, or something of the like, but it just it's special to her. So the Lord is saying, I want you to do something special to me because I am faithful to you, even though you're not as faithful to me. And now, in the next section, the Lord goes back from the sin problem back to the sin problem. It talks about unintentional sin for the community and how to right that relationship. Unintentional sin for the individual and what to do about it. But then it goes into purposeful sin or deliberate sin. Um, Go down with me to Numbers 1530, the Midbar in the wilderness. But an individual who does something wrong intentionally, whether a citizen or a foreigner, is blaspheming Adonai. That person will be cut off from his people because he has had contempt for the word of the Lord and has disobeyed his command or instruction. That person will be cut off completely and his guilt will remain on him. Sin is disobedience of the instruction. Uh, Turn with me to the ten words of the instruction. Now, there are more than ten instructions in Scripture. There is 613, according to some scholars. We play a game in our household called positive or negative. Uh, sometimes on Shabbat. Positive or negative in the commandments is thou shalt do. That's a positive commandment. Thou shalt not do is a negative commandment. And as we look at number four, 
there is both a positive and a negative here. Remember the day, the Shabbat, to set it apart for your Lord, to be kadosh, holy. You have six days to labor and do all your work, but in the seventh day is a Shabbat for the Adonai your God, and on it you are to not do any kind of work, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male or female slave, nor your livestock, your goat, or your donkey, nor the foreigner staying with you. Uh, the Complete Jewish Study Bible has a, a wonderful commentary on what is the Torah. Okay, and we'll let that, that fourth commandment kind of sit with us because we'll come back to it. In covenantal faithfulness, Adonai provided guidance and direction for His people and through them to all humankind. This instruction is known as the Torah and is foundational for an accurate understanding of the rest of Scripture. Despite this common misconception, the Torah should not be translated as law. Torah simply means instruction or the way to go. The Torah of the Lord finds its origin in the Eternal One. He declared His commandments to Israel at Mount Sinai, and Israel was to follow and teach His ways to others. Scripture describes Israel's response to the instruction. All the people answered as one. Everything Adonai has said, we will do. That didn't last very long. The people of Israel accepted the challenge. Yeshua, the Messiah, the living Word, embodies the will of the Father. The Spirit of God, the Ruach HaKodesh, leads and guides the followers of Yeshua into all truth, enabling them to observe God's instructions. Enabling, equipping. In his teachings to his emissaries, Yeshua confirmed the importance of the Torah by stating, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Adonai's Torah is linked to a relationship with Messiah. Micah wrote that many Gentiles would declare from out of Zion will go forth the Torah and the word of Adonai from Jerusalem. This is equally true today. God has provided Torah for all generations, not only for Israel, but for all of humankind. As we go back to Numbers 15, the Midbar in the wilderness, there is a hinge story of Numbers 32, of uh, verse 32. I call this a hinge story because it is very important. It's so brief that it's so easy to look over. But as we'll see, this is very, very important. Where were the people? In the wilderness. Not only were they in the wilderness, but while the people of Israel were in the desert. You guys know it gets cold in the desert at nighttime, right? More people die of cold hypothermia in the desert than they do of heat stroke. So in the next section, when they say the, they found a man gathering wood on the Shabbat, he wasn't just picking up a few twigs. He was gathering a large amount of wood to be able to sustain himself and his family throughout the night. So much so that not only is he violating the Sabbath, but he is most likely employing his family, his servants, his donkey, his ox, to carry wood with him. Sin compounds. It says back up here that Deliberate sin will make a person be cut off from his people. Sin is contagious. 
worse than any virus that I have ever seen. Inevitably, somebody will see this man and say, Lou, he's violating the Shabbat. Can I do it too? Because people don't do that, right? Oh, he took a piece of candy. I'm going to take a piece of candy too. So this man was an example to others. He's coercing his family and his servants and his animals to help him with this. But let's see what happened. They kept him in custody because it had not yet been decided what to do with him. Then Adonai said to Moshe, this man must be put to death. Hmm. So the wages of sin is death. The entire community is to stone him to death outside the camp. So the whole community brought him outside the camp and threw stones at him him until he died, as Adonai had ordered Moses. It just says that the man shall be set apart and kept away from his people. But here, he is being stoned to death, which means that his violation was much more severe. We read about over here in Exodus part of why he violated the Shabbat. He was working. But he did something else that's between the lines, if you will. He stole something. He stole time away from the Lord. The Shabbat was not meant to be a burden for man. Man was not made for the Shabbat, but man was made for the Lord. And on the Shabbat, we are given this wonderful opportunity to commune with the Lord, to commune with our our fellow community in service and in obedience to the Lord. But I'm going to tell you something. This man got the punishment that I rightly deserve. I am guilty of this exact same sin. And I confess that before you. In fact, after we leave here, we need to go and get gas. So we're going to have to violate the Shabbat. Otherwise, we're not going to get very far. But there's great news. There's wonderful news. All the way back here at the beginning, Yeshua took that punishment that we rightly deserve. He paid the price in our stead because He is faithful to us. The Lord kind of gives us an answer as to what to do about that. As we look in Bamimbar 1537, Adonai said to Moses, Speak to the people of Israel, instructing them throughout all their generations. A teasit on the corners of their garments, and to put a teasit on each corner a blue thread. This is to be a teasit for you to look at. And whenever your own heart and eyes lead you to prostitute yourself, but, you will, but it will help you to remember and obey the mitzvah and to be holy to your God, kadosh, 
set apart. I am Adonai, your God, who has brought you out of the land of Egypt in order to be your God. I am Adonai, your God. In Judaism, this concept is called a fence. It's to, to put a barrier around the things that, that cause you to stumble and to sin. But this is no more going to stop me from sinning than this is going to stop me from committing adultery or, or something of the like. But it is in looking at the tzitzit or my ring that I am reminded of my wife's faithfulness, of God's faithfulness, and the debt that I personally owe. In the West, we have a symbol of that devotion. So let's look at this section with a little bit different context. In 39, it is to be a symbol for you to look at and remember all of our ketubah, all of our vows, and obey them. So you won't go around wherever your heart and eyes lead you. It will help you to remember our wedding and our vows to be set apart for me and I to be set apart for you. For I am your bridegroom and you are my beautiful bride who brought you out of desolation and loneliness in order to be your husband. I am your husband. To be kadosh, set apart, does not mean to be separate. And it's something else that we can start to glean from this section of Scripture because repeatedly, repeatedly, when the Lord repeats Himself, we should kind of pay attention, right? Okay. When we go back here to Numbers 15, uh, verse 26, the whole community of the people will be forgiven. Likewise, the foreigner staying with them, because for all the people, it was a mistake. We go down to 29. No matter whether he is a citizen of Israel or a foreigner living with them, you are to have one law for whoever does something wrong by mistake. The very next line, whether a citizen or a foreigner, whether a citizen or a foreigner, Let's test this against Scripture. Let's go forward just a little bit into Isaiah. Okay? We're looking at Isaiah 56. Observe justice. Do what is right. Be faithful to our covenants. For my salvation is close to coming. Folks, that's a messianic promise right there. My righteousness will be revealed. Happy is the person who does this. Anyone, not some people, anyone who grasps it firmly and keeps Shabbat, which is kadosh, set apart holy and does not profane it, and keeps himself from doing any evil. A foreigner joining himself to Adonai should not say, Adonai will separate me from his people. Likewise, the eunuch should not say, I am only a dead tree. 
Jump down to verse 6. And the foreigners who joined themselves to Adonai to serve him, to love the name of Adonai and to be his workers, his servants. All those who keep the Shabbat. Shabbat's pretty important, right? And do not profane it and hold fast to my covenant. I will bring them to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices, their pleasing aromas to me, will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. Let's go forward just a little bit more to the back side of the book into Galatians 3. You guys know that there was a trigger word there, by the way. It's called inclusion. But the Bible has the proper definition of that for all peoples. Uh, We're going to see another trigger word here just as 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 a warning. For in union with Messiah, you are all children of God. Through this trusting faithfulness, because as many of you were immersed into the Messiah, have clothed yourself with the Messiah on whom there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free man, neither male or female. The the word here is transhumanism, by the way. For in union with Messiah Yeshua, you are all one. Also, if you belong to the Messiah, you are the seed of Abraham and heirs according to the promise. There is one law for all. You are all seeds of Abraham. Which means that the promise was made to each and every one of us. If we take hold of it, it is a tree of life to those who take hold of it. And its ways are the ways of righteousness and pleasantness. Now, I would like to make a a small distinction of a couple of things here. When Webster set out to make his dictionary, it began as a biblical dictionary. And it ended up becoming so comprehensive that it was adopted as an English dictionary. In Webster's 1828 dictionary, he wrote, a Gentile is a noun that comes from the Latin word gentilis. It means a pagan, a worshiper of false gods, or a heathen. It can also refer to someone who is not a Jew or a Christian. The word Gentile comes from the Latin word gens, which means nation, race, or clan. Early Christians used the Latin word genus, to which my wife asked me, is this where they get the name of the beer? I don't think that that's true. Um, This is the plural form of gens, as a translation of the Hebrew word goyim, which means the nations, that is, the nations who were given over to false gods. So when we read Gentile in Scripture or we read about someone saying Gentile, it takes a little bit of discernment to mean whether they are saying nations or foreigner or other group of people or someone that is given over to false gods. I also want to make a separation between a movement called 
Torah observance, or one law adherence. On its surface, it's led by the same proof text that we were reading about today. The Scriptures have been talking about it this entire time, but fundamentally it leads to replacement theology. A new person replaces the old person. One Gentile enters, one Jew leaves. That doesn't sound right to me. So we have to look at it for what it is. Dr. David Rudolph of Messianic Jewish Studies at the King's University states, in my conversations with people who are drawn to the Hebrew Roots One Law movement, I often point out that there's a difference between a personal calling and a universal ideal. Some Gentile believers are led by the Holy Spirit to come alongside Jewish people and to participate in the rhythm of Jewish life. If someone has a calling, a personal calling, along these lines, they should not assume that everyone else in the world has that exact same calling as well. In fact, the vast majority of Gentile believers and churches do not have this calling as evidenced by their not having the sense of divine leading to observing the festivals, etc. By distinguishing between personal calling and universal ideal, we are able to affirm that the Gentile believer who says, I sense the Holy Spirit is leading me to celebrate the festivals, while at the same time being clear that the Hebrew Roots One Law view departs from New Testament teachings when it asserts that Jewish life is God's universal ideal for the nations. So what does this mean for identity? All of this becomes clinging symbols if it wasn't for love. Whether you are a Jew, an Israelite, a Gentile, a new human, a Christian, a Croev Israel, Messianic, whatever you identify yourself with, it should be led by love in the Holy Spirit. To observe the commandments should be an act that is set upon your heart, to look at every single instruction and say, should I do this? Should I not do this? Is this a part of who I want to be in Messiah, Yeshua? The Lord gives us identity in many forms. As for me, I love who I am in Messiah Yeshua, joined to Him in covenant and in faithfulness. I don't know that I even liked who I was aside from Christ. But the Lord doesn't make mistakes. He didn't make mistakes in the families and the cultures that you were born into. He doesn't make mistakes for the times and the nations to which you were formed. He didn't make mistake when He made you male or female. So we should embrace these things. But just as our pasts do not define who we are and who we could be, neither do some of the relationships of our past define who we are. But we are defined by our relationship with Messiah Yeshua and the fruit that it produces. 
for me, I am a man. I am a husband and a father. I am a shamashim to a wonderful community. I am a kung fu master and a teacher. But my most important distinctions is that I am a bride to the bridegroom. And I am a bond servant to Messiah Yeshua. A statement that is echoed throughout all of the apostles and the saints that have come before us. I owe a debt to Yeshua, and I choose to serve under His Lordship, to where confidently on that great and terrible day, I believe I will hear, well done, good and faithful servant, that is one who does the will and the instructions, the Torah of His Master, instead of depart from me. I never knew you, workers of iniquity and lawlessness. As Jeremiah and Joshua Aaron said, As for me and my house, I'll serve you, Lord, lifting holy hands in worship. I will not bow down to the gods of man. We will worship the God of Israel. You are holy, Holy, there is no one else like you, because you are holy. Kadoshata Micha Mocha Elohai. Thank you. <laughs>